Today's scripture comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 15, verses 1 to 21. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be certain that your servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cabanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Wow, what a awesome reading. And he took no Hebrew whatsoever so to be able to actually pronounce those parasites and ammonites. Did I say parasites? I'm sorry. Um, I saw parasite this past week when I was on vacation. It was weird. It was a weird movie. I think that's why they got the Oscar, because it was so weird. But anyway, with all that said, that's the last you'll hear of me today, because by God's grace, the Lord knew I needed some rest, and he gave the opportunity for this pulpit to preach uh, through the mouth of my dear friend, Reverend James Park. Uh, Pastor James is a dear friend of mine, and he is going to be sharing from God's Word today. We go way back uh, in the early 2000s when Backstreet Boys was still popular and Britney was still still a thing. Uh, and now after all these years, we're still dear friends and uh, have been in each other's lives to be able to celebrate together, to weep together, and to be um, there for one another. And he's there for me today. Uh, by sharing God's word. So without further ado, would you welcome back our dear friend, Pastor James Park, to the pulpit. Good morning, everyone. You can say good morning back. (laughs) Good morning, everyone. Um, It's great to be here again. Uh, It definitely is a joy uh, to be able to uh, meet with you guys again. I think I was here first week of January for your anniversary service, and uh, so I guess it's, only, it's been almost two months 
since then, but it's definitely it's a joy. Uh, Pastor John asked me if I could uh, preach again today, and I was like, yeah, of course. Had a wonderful time last time, and was very blessed by all of you, and uh, it's definitely a blessing to be here again. Um, I, know, I think last time I was here, I, uh, I picked a very short passage. It was three verses. So today I went with a little longer passage, and then I felt bad because I realized I'm not the one reading the passage. But I like, yeah, yeah, Brother John did a really great job reading, and I got worried towards the end because a lot of people, when they read those, like, different, uh, I guess, people groups, uh, tribes, they have a hard time. But, yeah, Brother just, like, went right through it. Like, I was really impressed. But um, but definitely, uh, again, excited to be here and to be here to uh, just have the privilege of preaching uh, the Word of God. Um, today, preaching from the book of Genesis and uh, just thinking about God's promise, His covenant, with, with Abraham, which at this point he's still called Abram because his name has not yet been changed by the Lord just yet. It's a very powerful passage, I think, and hopefully something that is very relevant to all of us today. So let me just pray for us, and then we'll go into the passage. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for just your amazing grace, for your love, your faithfulness. Lord, it is, it is a joy to be able to be able to come together on a Sunday morning with your people to be able to look at your word, to be able to sing songs of praise, uh, and Lord, to be able to just worship you and to be blessed by you. And Lord, we pray today that you would be with us in every moment of this day, and we pray that as we are in the scriptures, that you would show us again just how amazing, how great you are, and that we would just respond just with worship of you, that we would just respond with faith in you, for you are so good. We thank you, Lord, so much, and in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. So today we're looking at um, Abram, right? He's going to be called Abraham soon. And we're going to look at just his faith in the Lord. But also, if you look at this passage, there's there's some doubt going on. And I think sometimes as Christians, I think especially when we come to church on Sunday morning, we, we like to act like we have it all together. I don't know about NCF, but I know a lot of churches I've been in ever since I was young. You know, you, you, you're supposed to come to church, and you have to act like you have no problems. So people ask you, how are you? And, and just picture yourself having a really rough week. But most people don't go, oh, man, this week was like the worst week of my life. We go, everything's great. Right? We put a smile. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever had this. Like, you know, I remember growing up sometimes, my, my mom would be yelling at me, and she's, like, not doing well. But then she gets a phone call, and it's like... She's the happiest person in the world. Right? Hello, how are you? And I was like, oh my, you're, you're so fake, right? Like, and, and, and we do that a lot of times. We want to hide and not be honest with the struggles that we have. And we look at this passage today, and here, here's Abram who is loved by God. Um, he is trusting in the Lord, and yet he has some doubts. He has some struggles. He believes, and yet he wonders. And I don't know if you could all relate to that. I know I can relate to that, where, of course I believe in the Lord. Of course I believe He is good. Of course I believe in Christ, my Lord and my Savior. And I sing about it, you know, on a Sunday morning, or maybe I listen to Christian music throughout the week, and I just get so blessed. And yet, when life gets hard, when there's struggles, I wonder, what's going on, Lord? Why does life have to be so hard? Why You promised me these things. I feel like it's not happening. And I think it's those times are so important that we go back to His Word, we go back to His promises, we go back to, obviously, the Gospel. And in this passage, we see Abram, and he has been 
chosen by God. He, he's been called by God. And in Genesis 12, I want to read this for us. Uh, the Lord comes to Abram, and he says to him, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonored you. I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Genesis 12, we see Abram being called by God. And God says to him, you know what? Leave. Leave your country. Leave your kindred. Leave your family. Leave your father's house and and go to the land that I am going to show you. He promises to make him a great nation. He promises, obviously, that he's going to give him land, that he's going to bless him. And then he also promises that through him, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It's, it's a very big promise. And it's, you know, and it's kind of cool that what, is, what does Abram do? He follows God. right? If someone came to you today and said, you know what, leave your house, leave your job, Leave your family, leave everything, and just go. Right? I don't know. I don't know where, where you will go to. But I say, I say California, just go. Like, I don't know what land you're gonna have. I don't know what job you're gonna have. I don't know what you're gonna have. But like, just trust me, just go. I, I don't think any of us would go. Right? We'd be like, what are you talking about? You gotta, you know, you gotta give me details, right? What's the land gonna look like? What's the job gonna look like? What's my future going to look like? But obviously, Abram, he trusts in the Lord, even. For, from the initial call in Genesis 12, and he goes. And God blesses him greatly. And and just a little side note, Genesis 12 is also considered a very important missions passage. If you've ever done short-term missions training or long-term missions training, you almost always go to Genesis 12, because if you notice towards the end of that, it's, it's very clear that all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And that's something that Pastor John can preach about at length in the future. But it's such a very important verse, even for thinking about our God being a missionary God. But going back to, I guess, the focus we have today, that's like a general context, immediate context. Genesis 14. Abram, he, he battles uh, four tribal leaders, tribal kings, I guess. And what happened was his nephew, Lot, was kidnapped. And so what he decides to do is he, he wants to rescue, right? He wants to rescue Lot. And so he, he, he fights them. He beats them. He rescues his nephew. And so there's, there might be a bit of fear. Most commentators will write when, when God is coming to him right now, he might have a little bit of fear of retribution, right? They might come back to try to attack him. And so if you look at the passage, the way... God comes to him. After these things, right, everything that happened with the battle, in the rescuing lot, the Lord came to Abram in a vision. He says, fear not, Abram. Right? He says, I am your shield. Right? And it's probably, he's reminding him, I'm going to protect you. I know you attacked these tribal leaders. I know you rescued your nephew. I know you might be a little bit afraid what might happen, but fear not. I am your shield. I am with you. I'm going to protect you. And then he says, your reward shall be very great. And that's also, if you look at chapter 14, the king of Sodom actually offers Abram riches, and Abram says, I don't don't need it. I don't want it from you. And it's a reminder, again, from God, I am your shield. I am your protector. No matter who wants to attack you, no matter who wants to come after you, I am for you. Right, we see in the New Testament, if God is for us, who can be against us? It's a reminder of who God is, 
protecting Abram, but also it's a reminder. You don't need the riches of the world. You don't need these kings to give you anything because I am going to reward you. But then you would think you hear that and you would think Abram will say, oh, thank you. Thank you, God. You are my protector. Thank you. You are you know, my reward. You give me riches and blessings. You are with me. But he doesn't do that. Verse 2, actually, this is how he replies. O Lord God, what will you give me for I continue childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram continues, he says, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And you see doubt. You say, Lord, you're saying you're my protector. You're my shield. You are my reward. And you promised me right, that I will make you a great nation. But to be a great nation... I mean, you got to start with at least one heir, right? you got to have at least one child, and then hopefully more, and then they continue to multiply out. But he's saying, you know, you're saying you, you know, you're my protector, you're my shield, you're, my, you know, you're going to reward me, and, and I'm going to be a great nation. Where's my child? And so clearly, this is something he's been struggling with, and so that's what he says to God. I have no offspring. A member of my household will be my heir. Right? It's not even my own child. And so he's struggling. They're strong words. And again, I have a question. Do we sometimes doubt God? When we read passages that say God is working for the good of those who love Him. When we read passages that say do not be anxious. Right? By prayer and petition, go to the Lord. When we read passages that say I cast all my cares upon Him. When we read about his love, his goodness, his faithfulness. It's great. We say yes, we say amen, but then do we? Sometimes wonder when life is hard, when we have struggles, when things don't go our way. Do we wonder sometimes, Lord, are you really good? I remember last year, um, there was a moment when uh, my daughter, who's, who's two now, She's sitting right there. She's very well behaved in new environments. So people always tell me, your daughter's so good. She just sits there. I'm like, yeah, it's because she's never been here before, right? And then, you know, after a few weeks, she was a little, little wilder. But she, she, she got this form of pink eye last year called uh, epidemic corrado conjunctivitis. Um, I, don't, I didn't know what that was. And it was really bad. I had never seen anything like this where her eyes were so bad that she couldn't open them for like four days. She was in so much pain. And then the doctor told us this is like one of the worst, but also one of the most contagious form of conjunctivitis. So they made us like Clorox everything every day. I remember we were washing everything every day. We were cleaning all of our toys. And then my wife got the same thing. And then hers, she didn't, she couldn't, she could open her eyes, but she was getting blisters in her eyes. I thought it was so gross. <laughs> I was like, oh my. And then I was thinking, I have an affinity for pink eye. I don't know, it sounds weird, but like, I, just, I just do. And so, I got, so we started showering in different showers, using different sinks, sleeping in different beds. And my daughter would come to me for a hug, and I was like, oh, man, I, I, I don't want you near my... No, she, no, my wife had to take two weeks off of work uh, just because uh, you know, my daughter couldn't even leave that. And I, but the thing was, 
when I saw my daughter and she couldn't open her eyes for multiple days, your, your heart just starts breaking. You start like crying and you're just like scared. Like what if she can't ever open it again? And then I remember thinking, Lord, I waited 38 years for to get married. I waited almost 40 years to have my first child. You know, I love this girl so much. And why would you let this happen? Right? And, and, you know, as a pastor, you would think, I'll just be like, oh, Lord, I trust you. You know, you are good. Everything's going to be great. But I remember just really getting scared. What if she can't ever see her again? What if she can't open her eyes again? And I was just praying for her. And, you know, and you might not even sound that serious. And yet, these doubts, Lord, why? And... Things happen all the time. It might be small things. It might be big things. It might be things that don't go my way, or it might be some kind of huge health issue or financial issue. It might be a relational issue. It could be so many different things. And yet, when bad things happen, we say, Lord, are you really good? Do you care about me? Are you really working for my good? Why is my life so difficult? It happens. And I think it's really important here, if you look at the passage, look at the way he responds, the Lord. Verse 5, he brought him outside and he says to Abram, look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Wow. He's, no, he's so gentle. And if you look at the Bible, when you see unbelief, God sometimes responds harshly. But clearly, Abram believes, right? It's kind of in the New Testament, you have the whole, like, I believe, help my unbelief, that kind of a, a moment where clearly Abram trusts in the Lord, but he has a moment of doubt. And when that happens, God gently comes to him. And he says, look, look at all the stars. Your offspring is going to be like that. I mean, that, that's such a powerful imagery. You know, growing, growing up in New York City and, you know, even now, you know, we actually live in uh, New Jersey, but it's hard to see stars, right? Or the air pollution, the light pollution. I think for, uh, at least for me, I, I, I'm more inclined to see, like, the skyline, right? I'll maybe go to West New York or obviously maybe, like, Long Island City and you see the skyline and, you know, that's great, but, you know, you don't really see stars. I remember when I was, I think, high school, I, I went on a mission trip and we were down, down in Trinidad and Tobago and much closer to the equator I remember one night we went up on the roof or something and I, or we went outside we were somewhere and I remember looking up and I had never seen stars like this it was so beautiful just these huge stars just all over the sky and I tried to go back to my science class and try to figure out constellations and I realized I only remember two the Big Dipper and Orion's Belt <laughs> That was all I could find. Everything else was whatever. But I remember thinking, it's so beautiful, and there's so many stars. And that is what God is saying. Abram, look. Look outside. Look at all these stars. This is what your offspring is going to be. Powerful words. Powerful imagery. And then, what does Abram do? He believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. He believed. He said, yes, Lord. Amen. Right? Let it be so. I believe. I trust you. And I'm not going to really go into this verse, but this verse is also very important in the New Testament. You see Paul really 
talking about this verse and thinking about justification by faith. And again, I'll let Pastor John do the sermon on that to really go in, in depth. That's not, I don't want to go too deep into that here, but it's important that it wasn't what Abram did, it's what God did. What, Ab- what does Abram do? He believes. And that is counted to him as righteousness. And so everything looks great. But then God says something else. He said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. So now I'm going to give you a lot of offspring, like the stars in the sky. But you know what? I'm going to give you all this land. But then again, Abram doesn't say, yes, Lord, thank you. There's more doubt. He says, Oh Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? I don't know if this ever happened to you growing up. Your parents promise you something. Hey, I'm going to buy you something. And then sometimes they don't come through. Right? And now that I'm a parent, I actually told myself, I can't do that. So whenever I promise my kids anything, you got to do it. Because right? I think you can break trust. But even as adults, sometimes, you know, you might, maybe you're at a job. Maybe your boss promises you a promotion. Do you trust your boss? Right? Maybe your doctor says, hey, you're fine. Everything's going to be okay. Do you trust that? You would think, though, when God says to us, I promise you something, we would just be like, yes, Lord, of course. And it's right after Abram believed in this promise of the offspring, and he's counted to him as righteousness. Right? It says right here, the Lord says, I'm going to give you all this land to possess. And he says, oh, how am I to know? How am I to know? Show me, Lord, that I'm going to possess it. Again, doubt. I believe, but help my unbelief. And again, that happens. We could be here at Sunday service, praising the Lord, saying amen to the message. You could sing songs of prayer. I think we're going to be taking, partaking in communion today. And as we partake in the sacrament, we could be so blessed and be like, yes, Lord, I trust in you. I love you. I worship you. And then on the drive home, something might happen, right? And I have a hard time trusting. And, and that happens. And we need to be reminded again and again of the promises of God. And so God says, you know what? I'm going to show you powerfully that this promise is true. And so in verse 9, what you see is, he says, bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So he just says, bring me some animals, right? He's very specific though, not any animals. He says exactly what he wants them to bring. But Abram he knows what to do. He gets the animals. If you look at verse 10 though, it says, he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down the carcasses, Abram drove them away. He didn't tell, God did not tell Abram, cut them in half. He didn't. He just had to bring them. But Abram already knows what to do. He brings the animals, he cuts them in half. Not all, not the, not the small birds, I think it's because they're small. So he just kind of splits them, and he cuts most of them in half, and he separates them because he knows what's going on. Now we don't, so let me explain that a little bit. He knows that God is about to make a covenant, 
a solemn binding contract. Now, we have to realize something. We, we live in a written culture. So when you make a contract, you have to have it on paper, right? And you have to sign it. Sometimes we stamp it or we, you know, we notarize it. But, you know, to prove something, you, you know, you need a contract. Now, obviously, sometimes we'll have oral contracts, and you know, well, somebody will say, hey, like, if you give me this much money, I'll do this for you, but that's risky, right? I don't know if that's ever happened to you. Somebody promises you something, and then you find out that they lied to you, or maybe they promised you something, and then they're like, no, that's not what we said, and you argue about it. And so people always told me, if you, if you want to make sure, even if you don't have a contract, make sure you get an email, right? You get a text message at least, so you, know, you have something in writing. But in our culture, you need contracts. Right, when, you, when you rent a place, right, you need a lease. Right, when you buy a place, right, you have a whole other contract. When you, even when you get a job, a lot of times you get an offer, you sign it, you, know, you go to a bank, you sign it. Very important. Everything is written. I need to sign it, maybe get it notarized, maybe get it stamped. They're living in a culture. It's an oral culture, a storytelling culture. And so one of the ways they would make a contract is by acting it out ritually so they were dramatizing the consequences of breaking the covenant so what's going on what you would do sometimes is you would take animals you would cut them you would split them and then you would walk in between the animals what are you doing you're saying you know what this is a covenant it's a promise I am making. This is a serious thing. And so what I am saying is, if I break this promise, if I break this covenant, let it be done unto me as these animals. So I pretty much you're saying, let me die. Let me be cut right, and torn and cut off. Let me be cursed. And what you're saying is, I am so serious about my word. I give you my word. I give you my promise. I am making a covenant with you. And so I am telling you, if I break this, I'm going to die. I'm going to be torn apart. I'm going to be cut off. And you walk through it. Sometimes I wonder, even in today's society, if we, if we did that, maybe people would keep their words better, right? You know, you maybe get a contractor coming to your home and they give you a price, right? Maybe you say, hey, why don't you go through these animals? If you raise the price, <laughs> right? Like, you know, but... Obviously, in our culture, we don't do that, right? We, we don't do it like this, but that's the way they did it. And not all the time, but, you know, for serious covenants, this was often done. And it happened often with kings and vassals. So if a king, a powerful king, let's say they, you know, you went to battle and you conquered maybe three or four other smaller or weaker nations, the leaders of those places, right, those vassals, would come to the king, and they would have this covenant ceremony, and generally, I guess the king, if he wanted to, could, you know, the guy in charge could also go through it. But a lot of times, I mean, the king's, if I'm the one in power, and I tell you I'm going to keep my word and protect you and care for you, even if you don't believe me, what are you going to do about it, right? So a lot of times the king, the guy in charge, the guy with, the, he might not go through it, but the, the vassals, the people that are under him, they would go through this covenant ceremony. And they would walk through the animal. They were saying to the king, we are going to serve you. Yes, you will protect us. You will care for us. But we are going to be obedient. We're going to be loyal, right? And if I break my oath, if I break this covenant, let it be unto me as these animals. So it was an effective way to make a covenant. 
done pretty often. But here's the thing. If you look at this passage, it says here, verse 12, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. So something beyond normal is happening. He's obviously sleeping, but he just feels there's a sense of darkness, dread. And then in verse 13, the Lord says to Abram, again, he promises, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in the land that is not theirs. There will be servants there. They will be afflicted for 400 years. He's talking about going to Egypt, right? The Israelites will go to Egypt. They're going to be slaves. But then he says, I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquities of the Amorites is not yet complete. What does he say? He's saying, look, you're not going to see this land. In your lifetime, you will not possess this land, which makes it even harder to believe what God has to say. But he's saying what's going to happen is your descendants are going to go to another country where we find out later that's Egypt. He doesn't spell it out here. They're going to be, they're going to be sojourners. They're going to be servants. They're going to be suffering there. But you know what? They're going to come back, and they're going to inherit. They're going to possess all of this land that I have already promised you. And after he says that, verse 17, when the sun had gone down, it was dark. Behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. Now, you're like, what? What is a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch? And, you know, the scholars will say it's, it's hard to translate it, but this is what we call a theopony, right? It is it's a visible manifestation of God. And actually, it reminds us of, if you think about the Exodus, where, you know, at Sinai, we see, we see the Lord, you know, just visibly manifesting himself. When we see, you know, the pillar of fire, the pillar of smoke leading the Israelites, you know, in the desert, right? And we, we see that later. And here, we're seeing a visible manifestation of God. But here's the interesting thing. It says here that the smoking fire pot and the flaming torch passed between these pieces. Really, what is it saying? It's saying that God is the one that went through those pieces. But that doesn't make any sense. Because God's obviously the king, right? God is the one who's in authority. If anything, Abram should be the one that he says, you know what, Abram, now that we've cut these pieces, I want you to swear loyalty to me, that you're going to trust me, and I want you to go through. But no, 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 no. God is the one that decides, I am going to go through those pieces. And then, if you look at the passage, you'll notice he does not then say to Abram, okay, now your turn, you go through those pieces. Right? Because you would think, if you make a covenant, it, it's, it's got to be two ways. If God's going to go through, then of course Abram needs to go through. Right? You know, when I, when I got married, I said I do, but I made sure my wife also said I do. Right? Like, you want both people in there. And God went through. And it says right after that, on that day, 
the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river of the river Euphrates. And he talks about all this land and all these people groups. And he's pretty much saying, All of this I will give to you. I promise that I'm making a covenant with you. And I am the one that's going to go through these animals. Really, what is he saying? He's saying, If I, God, break this covenant, let it be done unto me as these animals. Now, God cannot die. God is unchanging. God is infinite. God is eternal. He cannot die. And yet, what is God saying? He's saying, my promise is so sure, so certain. This covenant is based so firmly in me that I am telling you, I am not ever going to break this covenant. You know that because I am telling you, if I do, let it be done unto me as these animals. But here's the thing. Abram didn't go through those animals. So essentially what is God saying? Not only me, even if you, Abram, don't keep your end of the, your bargain, even if you fail and you're a covenant breaker, let it be done unto me as unto these animals. I mean, that's, that's crazy, right? If you think about that for a second, that is, that is crazy. He's saying, no matter what, I'm going to keep these promises, and nothing will get in the way. I will not get in the way of these promises, but you will not get in the way of these promises. And if, if there have to be consequences, I will pay the consequences. Now, Abram probably didn't really fully understand the cost of this oath of grace. But centuries later, what do we see? Mark chapter 15, right? We read that the sixth hour, that's pretty much noon, right? Darkness came down. It was dark. And we see Jesus, the Son of God, second person of the Trinity, he is on the cross. And we see him saying to his heavenly father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In Isaiah 53, 8 says, he was cut off from the land of the living. This covenant language, it's a curse. When he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's saying, I'm alone. I am forsaken. I have been cut off. What we're seeing at the cross is that we, his people, right? Abram was pointing, I mean, Abram and this whole covenant ceremony was pointing forward to Christ. And what we're seeing is that we are the covenant breakers. We are the one that don't, Obey. We are the ones that are not faithful. And what is happening? God himself is paying the penalty. We see Christ at the cross being torn apart, being cut, up, cut off. We see Christ being the curse. We see Christ suffering so that we could be blessed. You know, Paul puts it this way in Galatians 3. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse 
for us. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to us all through Jesus Christ. Amen. And what we're seeing in this passage as it points forward to Christ is we have a Savior. We have a Savior who came into this world and He lived the perfect life. He knew no sin. But because He loves His people and He knows we are sinners and because we are covenant breakers, we are sinners, we are enemies of God, we we need to be punished. We need to suffer. We need a penalty of death and hell and what does Christ do? He takes that penalty upon himself. He dies the death that we deserve. He takes our place upon the cross. He is cursed. He is cut off. He dies the death and goes through the hell that we deserve. And because of that, because of his work and his love and his covenant, we who don't deserve any of this, we are so eternally blessed. And as we think about this love, as we think about this faithfulness, as we think about who He is, how can we not trust Him? Right? He is our shield, right? We said in this passage, He is our reward. He is all who we truly need. And the thing is, there are going to be days in our lives again and again where life's going to be a struggle. There are going to be so many days in our lives where we're struggling. Why does this have to happen? What does that have to happen? Why is my life so hard? Why am I sick, Lord? And, you know, like, why? Lord, are you good? Lord, are you loving me? Are you caring for me? And every single time that happens, what do we do? Just like God made this covenant ceremony for Abram. Something that Abram could look at and he could remember. We look to the cross. We look at our Savior. We look at what he has done for us, his amazing love and grace, his sacrifice, and we say, yes, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. And we trust in him as our shield, as our reward. And we say, if you would die for me what would you not do for me you know Abram who becomes Abraham he does have a son his name is Isaac and obviously through that line the line of Abraham comes Jesus Jesus Christ and obviously we know who Jesus is it is through him that all of us through our faith in Christ can be saved can be blessed And so I want to really encourage us this morning as we look to our loving, amazing God, as we look to our Savior, let's truly trust in Him with all things in our lives. But also let us just worship Him and say, Lord, as you have loved me, I want to love and I want to serve and I want to worship you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you 
We thank you so much for your amazing love and grace. Lord, we, we are weak, we are sinful, but Lord, you are so good. And Lord, we pray that as we look at the cross and know that what you have done for us, help us, Lord, to always live a life of faith in you, to live a life of awe of you, to live a life of worship as we look to you. We thank you. And in Jesus' name we pray.